When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. Our assumption is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers in our podcast. If you want to support our show, subscribe for free to our YouTube channel, where you can access exclusive content we have a youtube handle that makes it easy to find us that's youtube.com slash at clear eyes full hearts also we are continuing to release new episodes of the podcast every other week that's right so join us as we recap all your favorite episodes chat with amazing guests and answer your questions email us what you want to know at clear eyes full hearts pod at gmail.com today we're talking about season five episode 10 don't go it was written by bridget carpenter and directed by michael waxman here's our nbc synopsis coach taylor is recruited by an elite college program and friends and family speak at tim's parole hearing there's a lot to get to in this episode but before we get into it we're going to answer a few fan questions Our first question comes from Chantel. I don't know if I'm saying that properly. I love but it. Chantel. Chantel, who writes, So I normally agree with y'all. Yay! She says, So I normally agree with y'all, especially Stacy. Stacy, are you Chantel? Um... <laughs> okay, so anyway, she says, I normally agree with y'all, especially Stacy. I'm with her on Voodoo. I went to a small Texas high school when Katrina hit, and man, they went through a lot. Was he an ass? Regarding voodoo, yes. But come on, his world was just destroyed. Anyways, yes, Julie was a brat. However, I have oh. never liked that her parents act like her only option is to go back to school and all that. I mean, yes, she should do the right thing by her future and take care of business, but ultimately, she's an adult. So why couldn't she transfer? Here's my answer. Yes. Because she didn't pay for it. Her parents paid for it. Yeah. Is she on scholarship? I can't remember. I don't even know if she did get a scholarship, which makes it even more that she should go back because then somebody else is paying for her to go to school. Her parents are paying part. A scholarship is paying part. Fulfill your duties. I think part of it is like me begging to take piano lessons when I was a little kid. Like I was dying for piano. I wanted really? to take piano. Yes, Stacy. So I like begged and begged and begged my parents for piano lessons. And one year for Christmas, when I was like seven years old, I got piano lessons and I was so excited and I went to piano the first day and I had my first piano practice, hated it. Oh. And I had six months left and I went home and I was like, I don't want to take piano anymore. This sucks. It's not what, and my parents are like, you're sticking it out. And six months of like piano and I hated every minute of it. I wanted to play piano. I didn't want to learn it. You don't want to be bad at it. Yeah. I had to, when I got piano lessons, sign a contract with my family that said I will go to my lessons twice a week and I promise to practice 30 minutes every day. Yeah. And I was so excited for it. Like three weeks in, I was like, oh, this is terrible. But now, yeah. I listen, I played piano very well. 
yeah, good for you. Like my parents were like, look, man, we paid for six months. You're doing six months. After that's over with, you don't ever have to go near a piano again, but you asked for this and you're going to follow through on it. So essentially what, it's one year. I feel like her year is almost up. Yeah. Or semester anyway. Just like I'm saying at least finish the semester. You put that much work into it. You went to class. You're taking finals now. Finish that. Yeah. And then decide if you want to transfer. That's my only thing. I remember calling my dad midway through my sophomore year of college and being like, hey, man, I just don't think I'm really a college material. And my dad's like, what the hell does that mean? And I go, well, I just, you know, I want to move to New York and be an actor. I don't really need a degree for that. And he goes, these for diploma, <laughs> finish school, get your diploma. And after that, you won't ever hear me say anything to you again. I mean, a great time in college, but I was really like dying to go. Yeah, you want to work pursue my career and yes i was an adult and technically yes i could have walked away anytime i wanted to but i probably would have walked away without the benefit of having my dad who was still supporting me in college that's the thing i feel like there's a weird privilege thing that julie has that i'm like i don't know where you got that from like you didn't Uh grow up with a lot of it just yeah be here being a brad and like she went through a thing and there's just something about the privilege that she's possessing now that it's like stop i don't like it yeah It's gross. We're not parents. What do we know? I mean, going back to what we were saying, I'm very thankful that my parents made me stick it out with piano lessons. I'm very glad that my dad said, look, man, you're not dropping out of college. And once again, like, while my my theater degree may not mean anything in the real world, I don't think any audition I've ever been on has asked me, where did you graduate from No one has ever asked if I have a degree. But there is something about saying that, hey, I started something, I committed to something, and I finished something. Yeah. That's what a college degree means by and large, you know. And you know what would be different if it was like she was having trouble in class. Classes were too hard. She didn't like the yeah. atmosphere. She made a bad mistake and thinks that that gets and her she's out of running everything. Away from That's it. where my problem is. That's where my privilege yeah. problem lies. Yeah. So it's not so much that her parents are forcing her to go back to school. It's the fact that like, look, your brain isn't fully developed at 18 years old, you know. Yeah. And you still have some say in what your kids do. Julie wants to go off on her own. And try and survive. Great. Good luck, kid. Go, yeah, you know? go do it. Yeah. Good luck. Okay, I would like to say that Chanteau is not done with oh, us. Oh, we got another one here. She has more. She writes, so, oh my God, season five, Stacy is amazing. I swear to God, you guys, this isn't me, this but, is I'm, Stacey. Oh, yeah, but I really I'm do. loving this. I don't like this. I would not come up with a name this cool. I promise you it would be like Sally or something. <laughs> oh my God, season five, Stacy is amazing. You nailed a lot of just normal mom stuff that hits home. The scene with Becky breaking curfew, the body insecurity after having a baby, the missing your new baby, just all of it amazing and real watching it back as an adult. Where did you pull motivation for season five? Oof. Like we just said, like, I'm not a parent. Is it so cliche if I just say my motivation just came from the writing? No, no, I think that's fair. That it was that good? I think that there's a tendency sometimes to take this approach that acting is something that's outside of ourselves when we're playing a character that, you know, you've never been a mom, but I think... You can imagine what that is. You're a cat mom. Listen, I am a godmother. I am an aunt. I am a teacher. My whole life has been dedicated to teaching and working with kids. But yeah, yeah, I don't have my own. So it is different. But it's the writing. And like, listen, I am eternal. So like, I had fun with it. Yeah. There's this idea, because I get this question occasionally of like, when you were approaching this character, how did you go about it? How did you prepare? And I'm like, you know, frankly, the preparation comes from just having a life that's been lived yeah i'm 47 years old there's a lot of things i've experienced at this point in time i've never been a father but i can imagine what that is i know how much i love my dog and i know that that's going to make some people angry but i can only imagine how much i would love my own child right yeah i have nephews that are like the world to me so i can imagine that 
you know yeah, i can imagine it i can live in that real world especially when it's written well and especially when it's characters we've lived in for five yeah. years it was not hard yeah at all. i mean listen i'm glad it resonated because it could have been crap i don't know all i do is i like i, I try to tell the truth in yeah. anything when yeah. i'm acting so hopefully that's it yeah i was saying this and somebody asked me the other day how do you play these characters or how do you play and i said you know i've never killed anybody yeah. but i'd be lying if i said i never thought about it yeah when you're playing a character who's evil or vile or does things that you don't agree with, think about yourself. We're all different people. I'm different with Stacy than I am with my mom. I'm different with, mm-hmm. you know, my dad than I am with my mom. I'm different with Stacy than I am with my guy friends. And I'm different with my guy friends than I am with some girl that I'm dating. So if you think about that, like we're all a million different people. We all treat each other differently and act differently around different people. All of us, you know, as Shakespeare said, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. He said it far more eloquently than I could, but yeah. He did, if he really said it and somebody else didn't write it for him. Who are you saying? Christopher Marlowe wrote all Shakespeare's stuff? Probably. Oh, Stacy. Not all of it. Ah. Some of it. Also, like some listen. Sometimes when I'm talking about telling the truth, sometimes that means pulling out from my soul, finding a reason why in this moment I need to sing in your face and tap dance, and it needs to be from an honest place. And yeah, our jobs are so weird. It is weird. It is weird. (laughs) All right, our final question comes from Susie Yu, who says, "Quick question slash comment about season five, episode five. I always got big party at the Moon Tower, quote-unquote, dazed and confused vibes from the post-game party in the episode Kingdom. Yeah. Everything about it, the moonshine, Buddy Jr.'s clandestine hookup, the branding, etc. I was really surprised it wasn't talked about as maybe a nod to Richard Linklater and Austin. Has anyone ever drawn those similarities or comparisons? I honestly didn't think about it until you brought it up. (laughs) To me, it just reminded me of high school parties. They were just like, like living in Texas. I think that's what Richard Linklater tapped into, though. While that scene that happens at the Moon Tower, that party at the Moon Tower. Party at the Moon Tower. I used to have a t-shirt that said party at the Moon Tower that I wore all the time when I was down in Austin. I would like to let you know that Annie and I's last birthday was at Moon Tower in Austin anyway, going on. I remember that we were at an event years and years ago and Richard Linklater was there after Connie had a screening of a film of hers. Richard Linklater, he's a very prominent figure in Austin and was at, you know, film festivals and I think it was at ACL years back. But it was really cool just to hang out with Richard Linklater for a night. I think what Richard Linklater actually tapped into in that film is what our writers were tapping into is just that shared high school experience. I don't know that there was a direct reference being made Mm -mm. to that, but I think that that's why Dazed and Confused resonates because it's like, oh, we all have- Yeah, why why Dazed and Confused- why FNL resonates because they yeah. just pulled from like, what we did. But I grew up like in Miami. Up in Texas, yeah. We weren't going to bars at 18 years old. We couldn't get into bars. So what we would do is go, you know, find some patch of land or a park or whatever, hey. some place that was empty and somebody had a keg and somebody had some beer and whatever and people were drinking and smoking and, you know, doing all the things that they weren't supposed to do. We hung out there until the cops showed up, basically. You know, and then maybe found a different place. While I grew up in a bigger city like Miami, what we did for fun on the weekends was probably very similar to what small town Texas kids were doing. As I said, you couldn't go to bars. You couldn't go, you know, there may have been one bar in Miami that served underage, you know, to kids. I'm sure there's one in Miami. (laughs) Well, there was one in particular that I remember that got busted in all my friends in high school. Oh, the place was called Tobacco Road and it got busted (laughs) when I was a senior in high school. My parents were like, you know about this uh, Tobacco Road place? And I've like, never heard of it. And he's like, my dad's like, well, 
You may never have heard of it, but it got busted. And they're not going to be serving any more alcohol to minors anymore. Son of a bitch. Damn it. <laughs> Thank you for pointing that out, Susie. I don't think I saw that originally. No, it's fun, though, because I think it just means how good our storytelling is and Richard Linkletter. Like, again, we're talking about just telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. I love it, though. I think there's a universality. Is that the right word? It's, it's universal. Um, Universality-ish. It's a universal theme or a universal concept of people hanging out in in parks and moon tower areas and whatever. Should we talk about the episode? Yeah, before I go and put my foot in my mouth anymore. All right, let's do it. All right, I got to say right off the bat, and I know I've said it a million times, I love me some Buddy Garrity, but I specifically love me Buddy Garrity as a detective. So a crate of oranges has arrived at East Dillon, and Buddy has put two and two together. It can only mean one thing, Stacy. Shane State, located in Florida, is interested in Coach Taylor. And he and Principal Burnwell now have the fight of their lives on their hands if they're going to try and keep Eric and Dylan. So this is going to lead to a lot of behind-the-scenes machinations by one Buddy Garrity. Buddy knows it, and Slam and Sammy knows about it, and then the players know about it. I can only imagine that Slam and Sammy knows about it because Buddy knows about it, and the players know about it because Buddy knows about it. From a simple crate of oranges. A crate of oranges turned Mm. into... He's Sherlock now. Yes, it's beautiful. It was. There was a Sherlock element to it. It was Sherlock and Watson, Buddy being Sherlock and Levi being a very (laughs) angry Watson. Like, what the hell are you talking about, man? It was great. I loved it. And they were right. (laughs) Holy God. It just made my heart happy. I can't. It's Tim. We see Tim and I need Tim to come home. It's not like I forgot. Got. It's always there in the back of the mind, in the back of the story, but yeah. seeing him changed everything for me. Yeah. This scene that we're talking about here is the scene that Billy has with this lawyer where the lawyers, it's a, you know, it's a fairly simple little expository scene here where we learn that Tim might actually be released on good behavior. Just this whole episode to me stands out in a lot of different ways, but I want to give a shout out to the actor David Bewley. I don't know if I'm saying that right, who plays the rig as lawyer. I personally, as an actor, have played these kinds of parts before. There's no glory in it. The work, by and large, goes by unnoticed, especially if you're doing your job well. The times where you do remember these characters is when they're terrible. (laughs) When they do a really bad job as an actor. So a lot of great acting is just that, though. It's simple, it's straightforward, it's real, and it's not noticeable. And there are so many fantastic actors on this show who are playing small parts that just add to the authenticity of this show. And by and large, it just makes Dylan seem like a real place. So once again, big shout out to David Bewley on this scene and all the scenes that he's had on the show. Yeah. He pops up in three different episodes and every time it's just real, it's natural. He also just knows like they're to serve the story for yep. you, which talk yep. about just being simple and letting you do your job, it's not yeah. easy, and it, it's done with such grace. I would say the same for everyone that was on the panel with Tammy, too, like mm-hmm. just serving Tammy's story in a yeah. way that's so simple. And the panel that comes up later with Buddy Garrity when, you know, Tim is potentially going to be released. Yeah, the parole hearing. Well, that's a lot of it, is that? One of the most unsung heroes on this show, in my opinion, and I've sung his praises a bunch of times, but Troy Anthony Hogan, who plays Principal yeah, Levi Burnwell. Levi. I just love him in every scene. But they make this town of Dillon seem like it's a real place. So anyway, moving on. Okay, so Vince's daddy got big, big mad. 
I was trying <laughs> to figure out exactly what is happening. So it seems like the super sexy college where nobody goes to class and everybody swims in a swimming pool took yes. away his offer. Yes, that's exactly what happened. So they okay. courted him, filled him with all kinds of lies, forced him to skip school, and then they were like, yeah, we're not interested. This is a thing? Oh, yeah. That stuff happens all the time. You know, like, and really. I can only imagine that part of the reason they took away his offer. I mean, it may be because of the fact that Luke wound up starting a game and they were like, well, we don't know what that's about. So they rescinded his offer or they rescinded his offer just because of the fact that they had another kid in line that they like. Yeah, I, I wonder how many kids they brought in and showed the sexy campus to, you know, oh, like they do that all the time. Have been just Vince. Yeah. You know, so mean. It's terrible. The recruiting process for high school kids is awful. It's awful. It's so interesting. I didn't. Obviously, because I wasn't an athlete like that, but I didn't know anything like that. And I'm still learning the rules. Like the fact that they wouldn't be allowed to talk to those people is something I never knew until me watching the show now. Well, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of rules and guidelines about when you're allowed to actually speak to the players and the things that you're allowed to say to them and the kind of thing. Like, you're not supposed to be buying them gifts, but they do that right, kind Or of even stuff buying dinner or whatever. Like, I wouldn't know that was... Not allowed. Yeah. A lot of that has changed in the last five years. There was a Supreme Court ruling that came down that made it legal for college kids to now start making a living or to get paid so they can sell memorabilia. They can sell, you know, jerseys with their name on them and things like that. And this was a whole thing called the NIL agreement. And it's a big deal in college football. It's really kind of changed the whole landscape of college football and what kids are I allowed say, to get hey. away with. Men. I feel the same way. It's unfair that these kids were unable to make money off their likeness. Yeah, but the colleges were making so much oh, money 100%, off them. 100%. 100%. It's totally unfair. You know, I'm also in the camp where I'm like, you know, it's also kind of ruined college football in some respects because a kid yeah. will come, he'll play for a university for one year, and then he's gone next year. He's like, screw this. I got a better offer to go play somewhere else. But it's become a free market. It's almost like professional sports now. We can get into that all day long. Let's get back That's to Friday a different Night Lights. Podcast. I wanted to talk about the fact that, yeah, even though Vince's dad is probably going to blame Coach for not starting Vince in the last game, Vince, I think, is kind of learning that there are repercussions for his actions. Mm -hmm. And I do think that by the end of this episode, we're going to see a change in him. And hopefully, mm -hmm. as I said before in the previous episode, that he'll you know come to a conclusion that you know he has to work with Coach and not against him. Meanwhile. Stacy, I got to say, it's good to see that East Dillon is almost as crazy about their football as Dillon. As we said before, Coach receives a crate of oranges, <laughs> and now there are signs all over town begging Coach not to leave, slamming Sammy's talking about it. Well done, Buddy Garrity. You have officially made East Dillon a devil town as well. Ooh. So, kudos to you, buddy. That's true. There was a thing at the banquet, too, when they were saying, for the first time ever in the history of East Dillon going to the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're football Ooh. obsessed. They're football obsessed. Finally. Yes. Finally, <laughs> Texas. Okay, there's a look that Jess gives to Vince just like while they're walking by. I had mm -hmm. kind of forgotten. I guess they broke up, broke up? Yes. Broke yeah. up, broke up. Right, because she cried with Coach in the locker room. Yeah. And there was just that look, and it, it made me think. And we talked about it a little bit before, but, like, there's nothing like that high school heartbreak. Oh, man. Where it's like, your life is over. Awful. Awful. It's the worst. I don't miss that at all. No. There's got to be some kind of middle ground, because I remember breaking up with a girl when I was like 30, and she was like, you know, I'm just not into you. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. And that was basically the extent of it. There was no yeah. begging. There was no fighting. There was no me pleading well, or asking why or what tried. I could do differently. It was just like, yeah, well. <laughs> she was like, do you think we can be friends? No. And I was like, yeah, I got a lot of friends. 
You and I have cold, dead black hearts. That's why. Yeah, at this point, yes. Fine. Okay. We <laughs> talked last episode about me being upset if that was the end of the epic journey. <laughs> it's an epic journey. The epic storyline. Yeah. Yeah. Because all of a sudden she gets taken away, but that it, maybe it would mean something because Tammy doesn't always win. And thank God we have Tammy asking about Epic. Do we know where she yes. is? Do we know where school? And I was like, there it is. Like our writers did it. Yeah. And I had kind of taken a dump on our writers last week mm-hmm. and saying, yeah, I think this is the last time that we hear anything about Epic. And, you know, I wish that they had a little bit more of Tammy being concerned about Epic because it doesn't so abruptly and then our writers smack me right in the mouth and come back with this scene that I had totally forgotten about where Tammy despite the fact that she's got 500 other students that she's looking after mm-hmm. as a guidance counselor asks Levi what's going on with Epic and Levi literally says to her he's like Tammy you got 500 other students to be concerned with but Epic is the one that got away yeah. I can't help but sing in his praises I love me some Troy Anthony Hogan so good. Every scene he's in is just real. Not one false note in his performance. He's just a fantastic character actor. Yeah. I'm glad that our writers brought Epic up again. I am okay with this being the end of the storyline. Yes. Yes. I am satisfied. It's almost like the parable of the lost sheep. What? It's a Bible reference, Stacy. I don't get it. Well, somebody out there will. We'll move I on. I love Buddy Garrity. Buddy Garrity, the father, the car dealership owner, the bar owner, the football fanatic, the Sherlock detective, and now professional witness, character witness for parole hearings because he is going to put himself into every scenario he can. This and then scene, he does though. it and Coach does it. I love my Dylan men. I love them. As we've said before, there are just scenes that pop up and you're like, I totally forgot about this. I don't remember this <laughs> scene at all. And I'm watching it as a fan of the show and just giggle. Just giggle. I love that Billy asks for a minute with Coach while Buddy's uh-huh. in the room. Buddy's in the office and Buddy says, sure. Hey, Buddy, can I have a minute? Oh, yeah, sure. And then Buddy just stays right there. Doesn't move. Yeah. Doesn't leave. And Buddy is now going to be a character witness for Tim Riggins, basically just to spite Coach, because he goes, oh, yeah, I'll talk about Tim Riggins. Tim Riggins, who dated my daughter. Oh, yeah. I love Tim Riggins. I have loyalty. Loyalty, Eric. Loyalty for Tim Riggins. That's what that is. It's called layers. So this episode is, do you know what a crepe cake is? No. It's a cake that has like a hundred different layers of just crepe inside of it. This episode is a crepe cake. There are so many layers of things that happen in each scene and it's like, oh, and I want to eat it. I love it. It's a great episode. I love it. I I love love Brad Leland in this. It's funny because Brad called me right before this scene. When you were watching it or doing it? Yeah, when I was watching it. He called me right before, just now. I mean, like literally a couple of hours mm-hmm. ago. Calls me and goes, hey man, what's going on? I said, Brad, I said, I wish, because we just had Brad on episode 509. <laughs> and I was like, I wish we'd have thought this through. I said, you were just crushing it in episode 510. Oh, what, what, what's going on, man? Tell me what's going on. <laughs> I told him about the crate what, of oranges. What am I doing? What am I doing? And he's laughing about it. He's like, oh, I remember that scene, man. Yeah, he had that crate of oranges and we just knew he was going to Florida. I love it. It just cracked me up. And then I watched this scene and immediately videotaped it on my phone and sent it to Brad, just giggling. Yeah, this is a very, very good Brad episode. He's a master manipulator, Buddy Garrity. But from the best place. From the best, biggest hearted place. And as I said before, it's the guy you want. Yeah, it's the guy you want on your side. And Billy's just completely and totally unaware of what's going on in this scene. He's like, Coach, will you go and speak at the trial? Buddies, I'll do it. I'm glad to speak for Tim Riggins. 
Uh-huh. Tim Riggins dated my daughter, and I have no problem with that. He was a good man. Little do we know, later, how good of an idea it is. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back here, because as I said, I forgot this scene, <laughs> but watching Brad in this scene, I did this thing with my face where I'm kind of like, what? I don't understand no, what's going not. on. Does not. Okay, so both of you are going to come out. Is this good or bad? Yeah. I also, yeah. this is not a shout out to me at all, but I <laughs> loved a scene where I got to be barefoot and wear sweatpants. And that was this scene. And it was very sweet. I remember this scene. Yes. I actually did remember this scene because the hair and makeup girls came up to me while we were filming and they were like, Bindi's so nice and sweet right now. I was like, yeah, it's really weird, right? And That's Billy's literally vain. what I have in my notes is <laughs> Mindy is so sweet in this scene. The reality of this scene is, you know, this is the scene Billy is about to go speak before this parole hearing and he's nervous and he's got this speech that he's working on and it's not memorized. And he can't get it right and he keeps screwing up. And Mindy comes in and she's like, hey, you know, basically in a nutshell, I've got your back. And it's so sweet that you love your brother this much. And yeah. Billy's, of course, a jerk. Yeah. What it reminds me of, though, is real life where I've had an audition for something and Stacy has helped me with it. And I don't know it. Okay. <laughs> and I'm getting frustrated and I'm taking that frustration out on Stacy. And because it's the I same. don't know my lines. Taking your papers, walking out of the room. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Just angry. So when we talk about where we pull our motivation from for a scene, this one was easy. (laughs) This one was super easy. This one is me before every audition I've ever had in my whole entire life. And then when it's over with, I'm like, hey, Stace, it went really, really well. Yeah, and I'm super used to it. And I'm like, great, let's go out. That sounds amazing. You're going to be mean and then you're going to be great. Billy's behavior in this is this whole episode is kind of awful. It's a lot, but God, it's because yeah. again, it's I'm going to talk about layers later. It's because he cares, and there's so much writing into it. Okay, but yeah. I wrote this before Vince walked out of this scene, but I just knew him coming in because now that I know the rules and I'm learning the rules. Vince's dad sitting with those new coaches and wanting Vince, and Vince had just apologized to coach yeah. and was gonna work on getting better. And I was like, oh, this is only bad. This yeah. is very, very bad. I don't think that what Ornette is doing is in any way in violation of NCAA rules. It's not necessarily in violation of anything. It's just you're in the middle of a football season. Worry about the football. All the scholarships and all that stuff will come later. Plus, you're a junior, bro. Well, which I did not know until later. <laughs> yeah. You've got a whole year outside of football season. You can't be worried about this crap right now. Focus on the football and those rewards will come. And I think that's what Coach is trying to say, basically. That's what Coach is saying. Do you think the ornate of it all is the, like, I want my son to go be a big deal and make a ton of money? Or is it I'm making up for being a bad father as well? Or, like, is it all greed? I can't I think it's probably a lot of that. I don't think it's all greed. I do think that there is this idea that I wasn't there for you for all these years and I'm making up for it. I definitely think there's some of that. I think it also comes from these proud parents. I'm proud of my son. I want the best for my son. But they don't see the forest through the trees and don't realize that they're actually hindering their child. You know what I mean? We've seen that with like stage moms. You know, they can be awful. And (laughs) I grew up playing sports and there were were these guys who were constantly in the coach's ear. Why isn't Uh my son playing? You know, yeah. you, you brought so-and-so in, in, in the second inning. Why wasn't you know, why wasn't my son starting? Why why didn't my son pitch this game? Why didn't my son, why wasn't he the starting quarterback? Why did you take him out of the lineup? Why did you let so-and-so? It's like, dude, back off. Coaches are trying to win games. There's not just one player on that team. Right, it's not personal. 
No, and they're also looking out for all these other kids on the team. It's not your son yeah. is not the only kid on this team. If I bench your son, maybe there's a reason for it. Maybe your son was acting up. Maybe I'm trying to teach your son a lesson. You know, it would be interesting to ask Cress, and if I ever do see him again, which I hope I do, because I adore him. If it was all that, or if maybe just in his story was a little bit like, I want that money. Yeah, I want that NFL money at the end and I can live and he can take care of me. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past Ornette given his previous, you know, the way he's lived his life. But yeah, I mean, I think it's all that stuff wrapped into one. I don't think it's just one thing. Yeah. it's la- Again, you guys, I'm going to keep saying it later. So you can get it's layered. Yeah. I taught musical theater at a school in L.A. I have had quite a few conversations with very, very famous actors about why their child was not cast in the lead. So much so that it got very annoying and old. And so I completely get, I was the coach in that situation. I get it. (laughs) Your child is not the only one in this school. I've never had that experience, Stace, but I remember specifically doing a scene on a show years ago. And the kid that I was acting across from was bawling his eyes out. And he was like, I just want to go home. I don't want to be here. And his mom was like, I could see her screaming at this kid off camera. And it didn't feel like it was one of these things where the kid had asked and wanted to be an actor. It was the yeah. mom living out some kind of, you mm-hmm. know, unfulfilled fantasy of her own. Yeah. I'll tell you what. I hope to God that that kid is no longer in this business. Or if he is, that he's doing it because he wants to be doing it. I mean, I know every kid can have a bad day. I've had bad days. I've had days on set where I'm like, I don't want to be here right oh, now. Oh, I've I cried and said I don't want to be here. <laughs> I've never, like, not left my trailer or anything. But I've had, <laughs> we all have days where you just, you're, you're sick or you're not feeling well or you don't want to work. <laughs> But yeah, I've seen that with some stage moms and it's the same thing. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, it feels we like see from with... the same place. Yeah. Living, yeah, living vicariously moms. through your kids. Yep. 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 Again, where we don't have kids, so we don't have to deal yeah. with it. But the good news about all this real quick, though, is that it does look like finally Vince is taking yes. Angela and Jess's advice to heart. He leaves. Like he basically walks into this diner, sees his dad with these guys and he's like, dude, we already had this conversation. Like I told you all this stuff should go through coach. And he's like, just come, come sit down, just come sit down. And Vince mm-hmm. is like, I'm out, and leaves. Oh, that was a big deal to to do to yeah. his father. It was a big moment. Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Proud of Vince yeah. in that moment. <laughs> okay, is it just that we haven't seen Tim in a while, or is it like the weight of what he's been through, however long he's been in prison? He looks so much older and so much like a lived-in grown man in a way that like I think it's part Taylor Kitsch being a fantastic actor knowing how much him has changed (laughs) but it was like a different person I think some of it honestly could be the fact that he literally just got done fighting a civil war on Mars that would put the weight of the universe on your shoulders so for those of you who don't know part of the reason that well well, the whole reason that Taylor's character (laughs) was not around a lot of the reason why Billy was a terrible brother is because (laughs) <laughs> yes, put it on. Put it on Billy. <laughs> Always. We do everything. You got a torn ligament in the in your leg. Blame it on, on Billy. Billy. So Taylor had booked the lead in John Carter. I think at that point it was still called John Carter of Mars. John when Carter he was from Mars. It. Yeah. Kitch is the lead. He was Mars. Yeah. So he was off shooting that film and Friday Night Lights. Just a little Lights. Pixar film. Yeah, just a little huge four hundred million dollar budget <laughs> film. No big, no biggie. Yeah, so he was away that whole entire time shooting that film, and so when he came back, that's why that whole entire storyline was created, was, you know, his character was going to be gone, but the writers on FNL and the producers on FNL definitely wanted him back as soon as they could get him. But don't you, didn't he look older? Yeah, and I will speak on that. I do think, you know, some of it may just be the fact that, yeah, a year has gone by since we've seen him. 
But I do think some of that is Taylor as an actor. Just when he comes back, and I'll speak about this in a little bit more depth later on, mm-hmm. he's not the same Tim Riggins. No, we he's talk changed. about it on the show. He and he like just physically took that on. There was a childlike, almost impish quality to him when he was on the show, where even when yep. things were going bad, there was still a little bit of a, a grin or a smirk. Always had that glint in his eye. It's yeah. gone. And that's gone. Yeah. And I think that's just a testament to Taylor as an actor. 100%. And the Civil War that he fought on Mars. Moving on. Movie. <laughs> okay, so you doing your shaky hand speech on that terrible pulled off pieces of paper from a notebook. Mm-hmm. Somebody could look at it and be like, oh, Billy's being Billy and, and nervous and whatever. For me watching it again, guys, I'm so, I'm so sorry that I keep saying this word. That speech is so layered. Because yes... You're there to be a character witness, but you're a character witness and you want your brother out of jail because you actually did the thing that got him there. So like your speech isn't just about him being a good person. It's also about you thinking you're a terrible person. And I just want to say kudos. I saw it. I read it. I thought it was layered and simple. And this podcast isn't about us singing each other's praises, but I really loved it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it does mean a lot coming from you, Stace. The big thing for me is I styled my own hair in this. Maybe that's what it was. I did think, you know, Billy's probably, he never really runs a comb through his hair or does anything. No, to, another ill-fitted suit. Yeah, another ill-fitted suit that he probably <laughs> got at Goodwill or something. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Billy that reminds me of my brother. I think my brother's got a good heart. My brother's extremely shy and does not like public speaking, does not like being the center of attention. And so there was some of that that I incorporated into this. You know, whereas I'm kind of the life of the party and love to be center stage, my older brother is just not a big fan of that. And so there's a little bit of Billy in my older brother. I love my brother, but I don't know if I'll ever love him the way that he loves me kind of thing. You know what I mean? I think maybe some of that comes from being the older brother. He feels responsible. And I think that there's some of that in Billy. Well, definitely some of that in Billy. A lot of this is just guilt. There's guilt. There's shame. He knows that the reason his brother went to prison is because of him. And you two are the only two in that whole room that know it. There's like so much weight on it. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's just just this massive burden on Billy's shoulders to right this wrong. And the person who comes through in the clutch, though, Buddy Garrity. Buddy? Like the person. Freaking Garrity for the win. 100%. And it's funny, too, because when I read the monologue originally, Kyle gets up and Kyle speaks. And it's gorgeous. Yeah, great. It's great. And I think we all just assume that what's going to convince these jurors is a passionate speech from Coach Taylor. Always. And what we get, oh man, does Brad Leland nail this monologue. Bridget Carpenter throwing us a curveball. Yes, Bridget Carpenter, the writer of this episode, just kills it. Brad Leland gets up there, Buddy Garrity gets up there, and he says, you know, I I think y'all know me, I'm Buddy Garrity, blah, 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 blah. He goes, Erica, you bought a Chevy Tahoe from me. (laughs) Just kills me. Every time I had to rewatch that scene, and that's the one that I literally videotaped and sent to Brad, and I was like, dude, you got to watch this, because I'm cackling in the background. He just crushes it. But in the end of the day, when he says, you know, let Tim Riggins come home or whatever, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think as an audience, you're just ready to stand up and start applauding. It's a passionate speech. And that's what does it, and the little smile that Tim has in that moment. Oh, God, I loved it. It wasn't a smirk. It wasn't that twinkle in the eye, that Tim Riggins one. It was like, thank you for saying this about me and being honest. It was just an honest in the moment. Somebody saying something nice about me. That hasn't happened in a really long time. 
And I don't think Coach's speech and Billy's speech gets him out. I don't either. The deal breaker was Buddy Garrity getting up there before that parole board. I agree. As we've said before on this show, it's the guy you want in your corner. You know, he can be yeah. annoying and he's a pain in the butt and you definitely don't want to be right, against him. Man. But man, when he's on your side, is there a better salesman in Dillon, Texas than one Buddy Garrity? Manipulative yeah. Buddy Garrity got Erica in that Tahoe. You know you love that air, that Chevy Tahoe. Keep that guy Erica. on your good side. I would also like to say sidebar, a white prison jumpsuit. I take so much umbrage. It's going to get so dirty. There's going to be so much bleach needed in whoever works the laundry room. Like, white? I wonder why white, but I do think that that's Texas. Is it really? I think it is. Give me a dark navy blue that you can spill food on and get out in the yard and like Take dirt. it up with the governor, Stace. I don't know That's what to tell so you. That's so much bleach. That's wasted money. Listen, Governor Abbott, let's talk about bleach. <laughs> this is what you're caught up on? This is the, the big hang-up? For a good 30 seconds, yes. <laughs> White? Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, no. Just a big, big no. Talking about Vince and dad and the weird issues, but then just another swoop in here. Vince's mom, Regina, just Angela coming in here and just being the force of nature that she is. Yeah. Oh, God, I love her. <laughs> I said the same thing. Damn, well played, Angela, because I think that she has kind of let Ornette take the reins when it comes to Vince and Vince's life and Vince's future and football. And finally, she just gets in the middle. And she's like, enough is enough. Hello. Stop it. Let this boy play football. Leave him alone. All this stuff is going to work out in the end. Just let him play ball. I love seeing Angela kind of get her mojo back. Where we came from with her. Yes. Him outside on this, on, like holding her on concrete to yeah. this. Yeah. Whoa, that's an arc. That's the thing that's been really fun to watch is her growth as a character. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that we are talking about guilt earlier. You know, mm -hmm. it's this idea that I wasn't a good mom. I feel guilt for it. And so because of that, I don't feel like I have a place or a platform to speak yeah. from. And she's finally... Do I get to tell you what to do? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. finally, we're getting to see that she's taking the mom reins back in some respects. It's like, no, I've sat here idly by and watched this happen. And I've watched you make these mistakes. And enough is enough. And it leads Vince to wind up doing the right thing, which is go to coach and apologize for his actions. And basically, hey, you know, I want to wipe the slate clean. I'm giving you back the red jersey. The red jersey is the jersey that the quarterback wears in practice. And he says, I'm going to give this back to you, coach, until I earn it. Oh, I didn't actually know what that was. I meant to ask you what that was. Yeah. He's going to earn yeah. that specific jersey back. Okay. Yes. Got it. And that's what I think coach was looking for from the very beginning. You know? Mm -hmm. Well, this is just a love fest of how much we love everyone in this episode. I love this episode. <laughs> I'm about to love on you a little bit. Bring it. We rip on Mindy, you and I both, quite a bit on this podcast. He's but she really is holding things together this episode for the whole Riggins family. I mean, Billy yeah. is straight up losing his mind. He's screaming at Mindy. He's screaming at Becky. He is out of control. And Mindy just comes in and is kind of this calming force. It's new for her. <laughs> I was wondering, Stace, from your perspective, like, because I remember when we shot this scene, I think I kind of overplayed that, like, anger that Billy has, because it wasn't necessarily scripted that way. He's definitely frustrated, and he's definitely angry, and all the oh, lines God, are there. Oh, God, I remember that. You're like, I'm really going to play this up. Yeah, and looking back on it, I wonder if maybe I went too far with it as an actor. 
I didn't feel it. Gave me a place to more calm you down. Yeah. Because again, it's the weight of all of that on your shoulders. Yeah. From a different perspective, and be like, Billy is acting like a total ass. Yeah. Like, I understand that you got a lot of pressure on your shoulders right now, Billy, but that doesn't give you the right to yell at Becky. And it doesn't give you the right to snap at Mindy the way you did. But the way Mindy handles it is just like, hey, it's okay. Calm down. Everything's going to be all right. There's an acting exercise that we would do in college about learning tactics. And you're in a scene mm-hmm. and you have to try different tactics to get a person to to get what you want to do. And so at first I like threaten you and I'm like, I'm not going to go with you if you act like this. And then I realized that's not working. So I do like a different one. And it was just a little like it like brought my mind back to college a little bit. And man, it did fun. it work. It super I mean, fun. It's, a, it's a natural response when somebody comes at you. When you come at me with a little bit of anger, it makes me angrier. And when you go, hey, uh-huh. calm down, calm yep. down. You I'm going to change back. my course. All of a sudden, it just makes Billy just kind of melt, yeah. you know? And yeah. it made me as an actor melt in that moment. Uh, but I wonder if I, as an actor, was trying to manipulate that scene too much. I do remember the very first camera angle is me, like, putting eye makeup on in the mirror. And to mm-hmm. get the camera angle they wanted in the mirror... I had one foot in the toilet and my knee on the yeah. seat of the toilet to get that one that they wanted. And they were like, is this okay? I was like, yeah, if you like it, whatever. I don't know if we could really describe how small that bathroom is. And there's a couple so times that they had to shoot stuff in that bathroom. And it, you could barely fit two people in there. No, it's so, so yeah, think about a camera and a It's bathroom. a teeny tiny little bathroom. Yeah, yeah. It was precarious. And somebody to hold a boom mic. Like, yeah. where do you put the boom mic, you know? It was it precarious was... for a one-second shot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, this day at the banquet was very long, but I remember it being super fun because I liked watching actors that I had never seen before get up and they got to do their speeches to coach. I think they got to improvise a lot of stuff too. And some of the stuff got cut. Some of it was really funny, the yeah. guys that got up. Can I be honest? Yeah. I don't remember that banquet scene. I don't remember it at all. We just sat there. Do you know why I remember it? Why? This is the one where Kyle told me about the three Gracie Bells, and this one in this scene is the one that Kyle couldn't win over. And he was, again, with the tactics. We were playing and we were puzzles at the t- and then he took her over to there was like a where a band was playing, and he let her play on the drum set, and mm-hmm. he like walked her around and showed her stuff and like, trying to win her over and it was so sweet to watch him do that and he was like stace i am gonna win her over if it kills me that's the why i remember like this specific day that's great yeah don't remember well i mean all we did was sit there and clap okay so this is where i found out vince is not a senior no no luke is a senior vince is a junior because i was like why does he care if coach goes away next year he's not going to be there oh god he is going to be there what yeah. What? Now, I, in all fairness to you, I don't know that that was ever established until this episode. And I don't think it's established that Luke is a senior until this episode. Seems like a hard-pressed recruit for a junior, if I'm being honest. Well, but I don't know how that true. works. Most uh, yes, kids I don't have know. actually, by the end of their junior years, already committed to the colleges that they're going to go to. So, yeah, I mean, your senior year highlight film is almost obsolete because most kids have already committed. It's just so hard because I'm watching Luke and Vince go through the the same process. So I figured they were the same age. They're not. Again, I know nothing about high school football, like whatever. And I think that's the reason why Luke has basically come to the conclusion. Because if at this point in your senior year, you haven't had offers and you haven't had people reach out to you. Yeah, he's done. Probably not going to. 
That's hard. It is hard. And it's, I mean, look, I knew very early on in my high school career that high school was going to be the end of my football playing days. But it oh, is yeah, difficult, Oh, yeah, I never man. had aspirations about doing sports in college. I just wasn't that good. I think there were delusions when I was maybe in junior high. And then as I got into high school and I just didn't grow and I, you know, it was like, it became very apparent that that was not going to be the route that I took, but it didn't make football ending any easier because it was such a part of my life. I miss, I still to this day, I miss the camaraderie. I miss the friendships. I miss the practices and the games yeah. and there really is nothing like it, you know, and I played a lot of different sports and I love theater, but there was really nothing like football. It's a different kind of love. I wouldn't know. <laughs> but watching Luke kind of have to come to terms with that. And then also having to come yeah. to terms with what he does after this. Like, what are my skill sets? What are the things yeah, that I'm good at? Yeah, because if his academics weren't his goal and he wasn't working on that or focusing on anything else that would get him into college, he's like, oh, it's very late for me to do anything. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. yeah. Tough to watch. One thing that Luke is finding that's outside of football that brings him some kind of joy is his relationship with Becky. And that has been really fun watching these two kind of bond with each other and how close they're getting. And there's a couple of really beautiful scenes in this episode. One of them just kind of playing catch on the field. And then just beautifully shot scene here with the two of them in the pickup truck. It's so Amer It just reeks okay. of like Americana. I'm looking at that land. The sun in the background and it's just a beautiful little scene. Beautifully also acted between the two of them. how good he was with the pig too. Showing Tank yeah. how to yeah. show. Yeah. Like Matt Loria did that really well. Like Luke is good at it. Matt did it so well. But I think that's kind of a precursor. Like we don't know and I don't think the show ever shows us what he does after because we know that he he joins the military yeah military at the end of the season but we don't know where he's going to end up but be a he farm. does have a yeah that's what i'm thinking i think that he probably will have you know wind up taking over his parents family farm or something and maybe becky's with him maybe not oh no yeah i think not but we're seeing that there is something outside of football that there are things outside of football that There's he's stuff good, he's at, good at, at he does yeah, have yeah. joy that brings him joy and that oh that was a very sweet scene huge Okay, it's such a small, minuscule moment that happens at the end of this scene where Tim comes home, the camera pans to me, and I give Tim a little, like a tiny little smile, and then it goes to Tim, and he gives me the exact same smile back. Like, I don't know if anybody else would catch it, but Taylor and I talked about it, and it was a look of he and I having this separate relationship that was always a friendship away from Tyra and away from you and him and I knowing secrets that like other people don't know. It's so little and whatever, but it meant a lot to me. I also feel like in that look, there's a sense of recognition. Billy's delusional. Billy, he's got his brother back. Everything should be good. And I think Mindy knows things aren't it's not, good. And you, Tim I, saw some stuff in there. He is not the same. Yes. And you're the only person in his life at this moment, I think, that recognizes that. Yeah. It's one of the things I love so much about this we show. We have a big scene about it later, he yeah. and I. I don't remember, but yeah. Uh, where I tell him that he's different. Gotcha, gotcha, But I gotcha, see gotcha. it right when he comes home. I'm like, you, yeah. th this guy is You're the, the one same. who picks up on it immediately. Yeah. I think everyone else is just happy to have him back. You know, yeah. Billy is just over the moon that he's back. Mm -hmm. And Becky's cuckoo. Becky's and everything's crazy. great now. Everything's good. Like, let's go back to the way things were. And I think not. that's not going to happen. And Billy's got a rude awakening coming. We've talked about this so many times on this show, but it is one of the things that I love so much about Friday Night Lights, and you've already kind of nailed it, is that so much can be said with so little. Hey. Tim has one line in this scene. He says, thanks. That's all he says. But our directors and our writers had so much faith in us as actors to allow these silences 
to take place, to allow these looks to take place, to allow for air to take place. That tells on so, so many much shows, more of the story. There's this idea that, you know, if they're not talking, there's nothing going on. Yeah. And there's so much going on. And sometimes there's so much going on that, I mean, I remember this scene, but I remember it in the sense that there was a lot being said and there's nothing being said. Billy's yapping incessantly. Baby's crying. What's being said is what's not being said. Oh. That is the beauty of this scene. And as we said before, it's pretty clear to me that the kid who went away to prison is not the same person that came out. You know, and it's going to take a while for him to readjust to being back home. As it would with anybody. Bumpy road ahead. Oof. Just again, I just, I love this episode. I, really I love did. this episode too. It's weird to me that I don't remember a lot about this episode, but it's yeah, just same. like. And I was actually talking to Brad Leland earlier today about that. I said, you know, Brad, I feel like I watched the first couple of seasons a lot. I know mm. them pretty well. It's specifically the first season. I think I've probably watched the first season probably three or four times in my life. Now, I hadn't watched it in a good 10 years, but I have definitely not watched the fifth season since it aired. So it's really kind of crazy to go back. And I'm kind of getting the same experience that you're getting, Stacy. A lot of it is very new to me. There's a lot of twists and turns that I don't remember. Yeah. So it's really fun to kind of take this journey again. Yeah. But I mean, I laughed in this episode. I cried oh, in this episode. So sweet. So sad. Yeah. So let guys, I'm just going to leave this layers. layers. Lots and lots of layers. All right, guys, I think that's going to be it for this episode here. Yeah, that's it for Season 5, Episode 10. But please join us next time for Season 5, Episode 11, entitled The March. But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Gentlemen. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Blackbird Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Rastano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mindy Wimmer for Black Girl Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to ClearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. And follow us on social media. I'm on Instagram at Stacey Rastano. And I'm also on Instagram at underscore Derek Phillips. Check us out on YouTube and BlackBarrelMedia.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.